All right, this morning, turn in your scriptures to Genesis. Does anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. Anybody, we got one right here. Uh, Hanny will be bringing you a Bible. And uh, if you'd like to keep it, do so. It's yours. Write your name in the front. Genesis chapter 4. So, here is a challenge. This is a second part part of a series that I'm doing, um, two-parter, and it's not exactly the stuff that brings a lot of people. As a matter of fact, we're, we're down from last week, so maybe people really didn't, I shouldn't announce there's a, there's a second part to this. Um, not a lot of people want to talk about this issue. This is like that family member that doesn't ever get invited to Thanksgiving, you know? You know they exist, but you don't really want to talk about them, right? But if we're going to talk about the essentials of the faith, we can't do so unless something specific happens. And we have to start with why faith is necessary. Why is this relationship between God and man necessary? What is the the scope of how all of this works? One of my daughters is going through driver's training right now. And it's a lot of fun. If if you haven't taken your kids through driver's training, it's a lot of fun. But here's the thing that's so fascinating is that she loves to be right. She loves to get things right. And so she's horrified at the idea of making a mistake. But what what would you tell her? And what, what have we told her? You're just starting out. Of course you're going to make mistakes. But the idea is that you improve, right? That you get better and better and better and you do the training and so that you don't make those mistakes which could end up being what? Critical. Critical mistakes. And so this morning, here's the challenge. We're talking about a three-letter word. A three-letter word that we often don't speak of. I talked a little bit last week about how we talk in terms of, uh, it's a dark place. Um, I made an uh, indiscretion, right? We don't use the word sin anymore. We don't use the word sin. But see, here's the challenge, is that we lose perspective on all of this and what our struggle is if we don't properly identify something. Last week I stood here and my nephew threw paper wads at my face nonstop for the first three minutes of my message. And you all just laughed. I couldn't believe you were laughing at, at the, the, the horror of violence that was going on against me and being inflicted upon my face. But you got a good kick out of it. And you were just like this Sunday, you were wondering, where is he going with this? The idea is, why do we ignore the ramifications of sin? The consequences of sin, when it's all around us, it is obviously affecting us. If you doubt this, turn on the news. And how many of us have ever accomplished such a grievous act against somebody that we never thought we would? We are a broken society, we are a broken culture. We are a broken people. But sometimes we're a little too scared to ask the question as to why. We just keep going in it. You all know the definition of insanity, right? 
I don't know who came up with that definition, and I can't quote it verbatim, so you all know it. Something about, you know, doing the same thing twice that is harmful to yourself. And yet, what do we do? Oh, I hear you whispering it. Somebody just say it. Get it out. Oh, now that's the way you shut people up. (laughs) Right? There you go. That's assuming that the result is what? Is damaging. Right? We're supposed to learn from that. And yet, aren't we a little bit hopeless? Aren't we a little bit hapless? Do we find ourselves doing, as Paul said, the very thing we desire not to do? Why? And see, last week my point was, I don't think we're, we're on top of it enough to, maybe we're just deceived, maybe we're just trying to ignore it, right? How many of us have come across people that are just struggling and they're in denial about the very thing that they're subjected to? Aren't you frustrated with that? Don't you want to scream, wake up, stop hurting yourself. Stop destroying yourself. And yet, in ways, we do the same thing. Every time I go to Krispy Kreme, I do the same thing over and over. I'm supposed to be watching my diet, and we went out last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. We were celebrating Alan and Janine's birthday, and you know, they made me give in to Krispy Kreme. What was I supposed to do? It'd be rude, right? It would be rude. We were celebrating. I didn't want to miss the celebration. And then I kept celebrating and kept celebrating. It was bad. It was really bad. Let's start with this. This is fantastic. Here's the lead question. Why so serious? You're not going to get a lot of humor today, a lot of jokes, a lot of jer words, a lot of jerisms, because this is serious. You know, that that phrase was kind of coined for our modern culture by a guy named a joker. Why so serious? And yet that's how the enemy works, isn't it? Lighten up. Lighten up. Come on. Don't take it seriously what God said. He just thinks that if you eat of that tree, Eve, Adam, you're going to be like him. Come on, relax. Why so serious? And yet, look at what happened as a result of that choice to go against what God had said was good. Now, we're going to ramp it up. I love this story. I love the story about Cain. How many of you know about Cain and Abel? Raise your hand. Anybody not know about Cain and Abel? Because I'm going to skip here into something. You're like, I'm not admitting I don't know anything about Cain and Abel. Well... They're the uh, son and son, the infamous brothers from creation of Adam and Eve, and one of them got a little angry and did a little bad no-no, right? And he kills his brother, the first murder that we see in Scripture. And so here's what's fascinating. Look in Genesis 4, starting in verse 3, what happens here. And let me back up just a bit here in my Bible. And so, Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. And God is really pleased with Abel's because it was prepared well. It was done well. It was done well with a gift. Have you ever received a gift from a child and like it wasn't even wrapped? And they just kind of throw it in your lap on Christmas and say, Merry Christmas, here you go. I I made this drawing for you. 
And you're like, that is phenomenal. I love it. That is appropriate. But if I did that to my wife on her birthday and handed her a drawing of something I sketched, you know, down here in the, in the chair while, you know, we're getting ready to sell it, she's not going to feel real loved by that. Right? And so that's what happens here with Cain and Abel. Is that they knew what the standard was that God said, hey, if you're gonna, if you're gonna participate in this worship thing, then do it. Then, then express your love. And what Cain brought was just like a scribbled piece of paper in the Lord's eyes. And so that's where we pick it up. And the scripture says this In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very, what? Angry. And then what happened? His face, what? Fell. The way that the Hebrew explains this is that there was a deep rage of bitterness. You don't really get that from his face fell, right? There was a deep rage of bitterness that was building up inside of Cain. So Cain was angry and his face fell. So what happens? God just lets him be, right? Because that's how a lot of people view God. My life is horrible. You have turned your back on me, God. And and here we're getting ready for the first murder to happen. Let me show you what the real dynamic is between man and God. According to God. God understood that Cain was upset. God understood that Cain was getting angry. God understood the danger that was coming. Last week we talked about being clear about what sin is. Today is all about the danger of the effects of sin. And so what does God do? He intervenes. He comes and He speaks to Cain. And what has He said? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Listen, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now here's a fascinating part about that, is that somehow in the twisting of this essence of our relationship between God and man and all that you hear out there in the media ether or the cultural ether, you would think that if it says this, and if you do not do well, I am going to come and slap you on your hand, Cain. Or I'm going to take things away from you, Cain. Or I'm going to punish you, Cain, because I'm not pleased with what you've done. Right? That's kind of what we hear out there in some of the consensus of how God works. Is that what the Scripture says, is that what is being told in the story? Who is after Cain? Sin. This is where we egregiously get it wrong. When things are happening in our life that cause us distress, hurt, anger, how often do we blame God? You see, Scripture says that it wasn't God that was doing this. Sin. 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 And here's the tricky part about sin. Is that it will deceive you and it will trick you and make you think that God is the one 
that's causing your hurt, causing your anger. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But this is a fascinating statement. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the, do- at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Let's break that down. Let's look at it. The danger of sin. And so this morning as we ask that question, my statement is, why so serious? Because this is dangerous. Because it's dangerous. And the more that we want to marginalize or minimize or deny what sin does and that sin is real, the more we become victims to it. As your pastor, I care and I seek to guard and shepherd over you so that you do not fall to the effects of sin. But I'm just what's called an under-shepherd. Who is the great shepherd? Jesus Christ. And this is why He died. This is why He came to earth in the form of of a human form. Was that He might take our place on that cross. That the punishment for sin, and all the guilt of sin, and all the recompense of sin, He would take on Himself. Because we were helpless and we were hapless. Because sin is dangerous. Sin is dangerous. God warns Cain about the intention and power of sin. We need to be mindful of that. God Himself says that sin is there to destroy us. He says it's crouching at the, at the door. <clears throat> it desires to have you. This idea of it desires to have you, go ahead, make the connection. Your desire for something, your longing for something, you become purposeful about that thing, don't you? As I've started on this um, recovery to health, as we call it. We don't call it the D word. We call it the recovery to health. The lifestyle. It's just all colloquialisms for saying I'm going to make myself what I call hangry. (laughs) My family has used that word more, if I got a dollar for every time my family said, you're hangry right now, I could maybe go to at least the airport to think about getting to Hawaii. But here's the fascinating thing. God provides a solution. What was that solution? Cain, if you do what is right, it's going to go well for you. So let's look at that. Let's pause for a moment. The way that God has set things up set things up is that he has said that look I want things to be good for you he set up the garden of Eden it's all good I'm providing everything for you just don't touch this one thing right think about this with kids just you could do anything you want in this room just don't touch that one thing right I'm not going to sell out which kid in my family this was but it might have been my first one that my wife tells a story, and it's, it's a fantastic story that, that when, we were, when we were starting out and, and Dylan was just crawling, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so my stereo equipment was on the floor. And we tried to teach Dylan, you know, no touch, no touch, right? And so she caught him one day. He was crawling over to the stereo. Now, how old was he? Like three weeks, right? Six months, she says. I don't know. She does the math better than me. And uh, so six months, he's crawling over, and she's in the kitchen. She says, Dylan, no touch. And when she turned her back, she came back around to look, and Dylan did this. Thought she couldn't see him, and he went like this, and then he did this again right before he touched it. 
right? It is part of our nature. That's what I was on Sunday night with that Krispy Kreme. It's part of our nature. But God provides a solution. He just says, look, I've tried to make everything work for you. Just do what's right. And you're not going to be angry. You're not going to get twisted. You're not going to get destroyed. You're not going to get deceived. There's three passages here I want you to see out of the New Testament that fit with this. Let's understand the scope of sin and the danger of sin. To deny that somebody's trying to get at you. To deny that something is trying to destroy you for a football team, for a quarterback, would be foolish, right? The moment that ball is snapped, can you imagine a quarterback taking a, uh, a folding chair, putting it down, breaking out a, a nice Dr. Pepper, sitting down there and just sipping the thing and checking his clock, looking at his phone? Why would he not do that? Because they're after him, right? There is a whole group of men that want to what? Destroy him. You get to watch that for the next 18, 20 weeks. Especially if you root for San Diego Chargers. Just watch him get sacked over and over and over. We have to deal with the reality that sin is lurking and it wants to destroy us. So Jesus' words say this, the thief comes only to steal, steal your life away. To kill, to kill your life, your joy, your happiness, your peace, your contentedness, and to destroy. To destroy your marriage. To destroy your, your success. To destroy your self-image. To destroy your on and on and on. If we don't face the reality that this is lurking, we fall subject to it all the time. Why so serious? Because there are serious consequences at stake. Ephesians 4, 26-27, Paul says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because you give opportunity to the devil. Just like Cain did. You give opportunity to the devil. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, be aware. Be sharp. Don't be dulled out. Stop walking around like this looking at your phone falling off cliffs. Just so you can get a peek at you. He says, why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I was flipping through the channels the other day. Hit Discovery Channel and here's some lions trying to get a water buffalo. Right? That's just always a joyful thing to watch. So I don't know why I stayed, but I was like stuck in the moment. I'm like, okay, it looked like the water buffalo was winning. And I wanted to see the water buffalo win. Water buffalo didn't win. But something interesting happened. While all that's happening on the TV, my dog, Max, comes running from the kitchen, stops abruptly at the TV, and just looks up and just starts whining. I'm like, wow, does he think? And I'm like, Max, it's okay. It happened a long time ago. It'll be all right, Max. Oh, he was really upset. But this idea that he's roaming like a, a lion seeking to devour you, that was a beautiful picture of, of what Satan wants to do to you. He's got an agenda. So let's break that down a little bit. What, is it always the devil made me do it, right? We talked a little bit about that last week. Well, if, <clears throat> if there's an imminent danger coming towards you, 
And if we've already presupposed because of the veracity of Scripture that this is sin, do we always say that, well, the devil made me do it? I think Ephesians 2 says no. I think there's a multi-tiered, a three-tiered way that sin enters into our life or is always there waiting to destroy us. So let's look at it. The danger of sin, it's multifaceted. Write that down. It's multifaceted. Because if you don't know which direction that attack is coming, you're susceptible. It's going to get you. Number one, it can be natural. We naturally have a desire to sin. It's in our nature. If you have ever done something that you knew you shouldn't have done, and you just kind of, because you just wanted it. It was just there. Or, you know, if you have a a, a natural propensity towards, um, let's just say, like for instance, myself, working on a project does not go well for me. My kids know this. Um, I think I was even doing something this past week. Yeah, the, the window, re- you guys heard all about my window regulator and uh, last week. And when I get into those things, people, I can be patient with people. Objects, I can't be patient with objects. And so my anger starts ramping up and ramping up. And I'm yelling at this thing. It makes no sense. It's very embarrassing. And, and I have to kind of just ask forgiveness from my family and my kids. But I, I have to look, guys, that's natural for me. Do you know why? Because of things that, that happened with me growing up, a sense of I can't ever fail, and you know all those kinds of things. So if I think I should be able to do something and it's just not working with me, my natural man gets angry about that. That comes from me. I own that. Not to mention that we just naturally have sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 8 talks about this. We'll get into it in a second. It can be worldly. There are things in the world that can cause us to sin, that can tempt us to sin. We're influenced or tempted by others. It can be satanic. We know that for sure because Scripture talks about it. The enemy seeks to destroy us. Let me qualify all three of these points. Number one, well, this is where I get this idea from. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, and you were dead in the trespasses of sins, in which, what? You once walked, following the course of this, what? World following the prince of the power of the air. You see the the trichotomy there? And the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now we get to hit the the next part in a little bit, because that's pretty serious. That's some heavy stuff. But there's a reason Paul writes it. It's to remind those who have experienced faith in Jesus Christ who have come out of that. Have you ever tried to accomplish something and you've grown through it? How exciting that is. Like you've learned. You've gotten better at something. The only way that you know that you've gotten better is because you're able to go back and relate to how bad you used to do it. Anybody anybody struggle with learning how to drive a car? Did any of us run into something? Run over something? Break something? And you kind of laugh because you're like, okay, yeah, I wouldn't do that now because I learned. Hopefully. Why so serious? 
So let's look at this idea of sin coming by my own nature. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through Paul says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But now, now, let me just say something. People like to go to these passages and just highlight specific sins. They say, oh, see, you know, I'm not one of those. <laughs> or I'm not one of those. Or I'm not one of... So I'm good. This is not a comprehensive list. Okay, Paul didn't have a long enough... He didn't have enough ink in the pen to keep going on all the things. You understand that, right? He's just making a point. All these things that don't meet God's standard, he's saying what? He said, such were some of you. By nature, we were this way. Right? He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God so that you are able to not be that nature anymore, but be new in Christ. And that's where we'll pick it up next week. So temptation by the world. There's two ideas here. 2 Timothy 4, 9-10. through It's the closing of the letter, Paul to Timothy. And he's, saying, he's giving his salutation, saying, hey, look, here's some things that I need. So he says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It's kind of an obscure verse, but I want you to see that that would be like a ministry team going out somewhere and someone just getting really excited about something that they saw. And they're like, I'm out. I'm going to go do this thing over here. And now they're completely off course. Now they're not doing what, what they had passionately set out to do. They got derailed. Right? Have you ever been derailed from what you were doing intentionally and purposefully? Because you got tempted by something else around you. I used to do this all the time in youth ministry to prove the point. I wouldn't tell them what the point was. I'd just demonstrate it first and then go back to it because it was surefire. Surefire. I'd take one of my staff, I'd give them a $20 bill, I'd put them outside. We had two doors. And I'd tell the kid, all right, I got $10 right here. I want to volunteer. $10. I'd say, if you can run around here under 25 seconds, you get the $10. You just have to go out that door and come back in this door. And everybody got really excited. This kid was like frothing at the mouth. And people, it's back when $10 could buy you like some, uh, some tacos and a soda. It, it worked well for that night for that kid. So he'd run. Well, what he didn't know is just on the other side of that door that he couldn't see was a staff member. And the second he came through the door, the staff member would start waving a 20 and saying, hey, 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 I got $20 right here. $20, $20. Every single time the student slowed down so much. Now they held on to the 10 every single time. They, they didn't stop and grab the 20. They probably should have if they wanted more money. But the temptation caused them to slow down and get derailed enough that they never won the $10. I ran that, I ran that scam probably 10, 12 times. Never lost my money. Except the staff member always kept the 20. So I stopped running it after 10 times. Janine said, no, we can't afford that. That's vacation. So temptation by the world is a very real and true thing. Matthew 6, 24, the words of Christ. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Money. Now let me just clarify. Does that mean that God hates money? He doesn't want you to have any money. You need to give all your money away in order to follow God. No. 
It's the love and pursuit. As believers in Jesus Christ, in our journey of faith, in our journey of spiritual walk, we are to pursue Christ and the things that He has for us. And this is one of the things that's so tragic about the church. Is that we're not about those things so much. We're not passionately. We've been derailed. We've been derailed by those things that we want and those things that we think we need. And they take up our time. They take up our resources. Whereas the true joy in serving others through the love of Christ. I guarantee you all three of these directors for a lifetime would tell you at the end of lifetime that they felt like it would have been easier to just take every day and start out at the beach or at Starbucks with a nice cup of coffee and sit and read a book. Right? Or that they had a better offer that paid more. But the reason that lifetime happened was because they were willing to sacrifice the better offer, the more money, so that God's work... And I will guarantee you that all three of those ladies do not regret their decision. So we get tempted by the world. We also get tempted by Satan. How do we know? Well, we, we read one already, right? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. Ephesians 2, or 4, 26-27. I've read this. You know, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, here's another passage that many of you are familiar with. Ephesians 6, 10-11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What to do with sin? Before we get to that, I hope I've made the case scripturally that there's a danger in sin. Again, go back to what God said to Cain. Sin is lurking at your door. Its desire is for you. And it desires to take you down. Brothers and sisters, this is a reality and it's dangerous. And sometimes we can find ourselves into positions and we say, how did I get here? I never would have imagined myself in this situation. I never would have imagined myself saying that. I never would have imagined me being estranged in relationship from this person I love so deeply. I never could have seen myself doing this. How did I get there? Because the reality is, and the evidence is all around us. There is sin and it wants to destroy you. How do you survive? Number one, remember God's words. Remember God's words. If you do what is right, it's going to go well for you. We talked about that last week, right? That one of the greatest things that you can do is enter into that pursuit of love of Jesus Christ and know His commands. First John chapter 2 talks about this, that if we say we love Him, then we will keep His commands. If we don't keep His commands, then, then the truth is not in us. The reality is, is that we have a God, a Savior that has proven Himself in, in a desperate act of love that He might destroy and demolish the effects of sin for you and I. We're not alone. We don't have to fight this alone. Did you see that with Cain? What a tragic story if Cain's left there sulking on his own 
And everything's building up inside of him like we find ourselves so often hurt, dejected, wondering where God is. But we never ask to engage with God. We don't pursue Him. We just complain. We just sit and we stew like, like Cain did. And yet I would not just even suspect, but I guarantee that God is just waiting there to protect you and to help you work through it. But there is a level to where He expects you to fight. The Peter passage says, resist. Resist. I'm going to give you some things here on, on how we can avoid the danger of sin. What do we do? Let me clearly say this. Those things that I'm putting up right now speak to the active day-in, day-out um, process of sanctification for the believer. For those who have yet to wrestle with this idea that, okay, there is sin... I don't know if I would call it that, but okay, Pastor Jeremy, I see those things all around us. I see the evidence of evil. And so I encourage you, wrestle with where does evil come from? If it doesn't come from where Scripture says it comes from. Because the evidence, it is self-evident that there is evil and that there is sin. There are things that are self-evident that we will do in and of ourselves that we would never think we would do. Where does that come from? And so, if the veracity of this idea of sin is true, then what is the answer? Well, if you go in the, in the context of God and Jesus Christ and man and sin, then what has happened is that God has said, I created something beautiful for you. My intention was that you would have this, this beauty, this wonderment. And yet, it was destroyed by sin. So here's what I'm going to do. There is going to be fallout from that. There is going to be some result from that. Life is going to be challenging from that. We talked about all that last week. The result of the fall. But he says, I'm going to make a way. I'm not giving up because it, what I gave you, you destroyed. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a way. And he made that way through Jesus Christ who was part of the Father, who came down in, in human form. I know that's hard to get your head wrapped around. It's hard for me to get my head wrapped around. But He proved it by doing what He did. And the truth was in Him. And the evidence of the resurrection proved that He was who He said He was. And so what happened on this cross? We studied it out of Colossians 2 last week that our sins, our transgressions, all of that was nailed to the cross by Jesus Christ. So for those that are walking that spiritual um, mystery of discovery, start with the idea of sin. If you say, okay, I can see that. I get that. Then what's the answer? The answer according to God is Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. The one who can take away that sin. The one that can give you freedom from sin. And so faith in Jesus Christ, who you cannot see, you cannot touch, but you can experience the evidences of Christ. Amen? Has anybody in this room experienced the love of Christ and the freedom of Jesus Christ? Okay. You saw those hands go up. You heard those voices. So if you're wondering what that's like, talk to any of those people. But don't 
Stop short. Don't delay. Because just like that quarterback, they're coming after you. They're coming after you. You can't ignore it. You can't let your nephew sit to your left and just keep pelting you with wadded up paper and act like nothing's happening. Because it's obvious to everyone. Check out the veracity and truthfulness of Jesus Christ. Pursue that freedom through Him because He has conquered over sin and death. So that's to those that are on that spiritual journey. For those that claim faith in Jesus Christ already, you've experienced that freedom, but we still struggle with sin because why? We're in a sinful world, right? I have to still deal with Krispy Kremes and window regulators that break. It's a broken world. So here's the encouragement. Resist. I already read it to you. It's it's this passage about that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking to devour. So what's the answer? Peter says this. Resist. Give some effort. I read an article this morning on Facebook by somebody where there is this attitude that is taught that we should just marginalize sin because of grace. It's all about grace. And so, we don't need to really even deal with sin. Um, Let me ask you, have you ever said I'm sorry to anybody? Now, has anybody ever offended you and they should have said sorry back to you, but they didn't? I just painted the picture of people who believe in cheap grace. Because they want to say in cheap grace that It's all about grace, and grace is so powerful that it covers all the sins. Absolutely, it does. But that doesn't eradicate the need for confession. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But we need to acknowledge sin. We need to know that it's real. And and the church, the early church was having a problem with this. They were denying it. Because there was some teaching out there by the Gnostics that said, hey, look, we're, we're esoteric people, and that the effects amoral or moral don't really affect our spiritual being. We're kind of disassociated from it. And John is saying, um, <clears throat> hinky alert, I was with Jesus, I know Jesus, I walked with Jesus, and if Jesus, if there wasn't sin, and we're not culpable for sin, then why did He die on the cross? Him being God, feeling the need to die on the cross for our sin. He says it's not logical. And those who believe in Christ, you have to understand, you have to know that you acknowledge that sin is real. Number two, we need to confess sin. 1 John 1.9. I put these up so you can write these references down. I don't have time to turn to them. But 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins and we were faithful to do so, He will what? He will forgive our sins. And again, these antinomian individuals that want to hold to high grace, they say there's no need to confess sin. And, and that John, he's speaking, he talks about my dear children. He's talking to the church. He says he kind of just pauses in the middle of all this and he starts talking to people. who It doesn't make any sense. It's not consistent interpretation. And what I find with that is that people who just don't want to deal with sin, they don't want to feel guilty, they want to feel better about themselves. Here's the challenge. Let's go back and reinterpret according to people who think we don't need to confess sin. Let's reinterpret two events in Scripture. Let's go back to the one we started with today, with Genesis 4, with Cain and God. So according to that kind of thinking, antinomian thinking, that 
we really don't need to worry about sin or confessing sin that it's been rendered powerless by the cross. Yes, it has, but we still deal with it and confession is part of dealing with that. It would look something like this. Cain's pouting, he's upset, God shows up, and God says what? He says, well, Cain, you're just a great guy. You're just an awesome guy. As a matter of fact, the article that I read said when when a woman is divorcing, you don't speak to her about being careful about bitterness. That's just the wrong thing to say in that moment. I don't know. You've you got to work by the Holy Spirit. She needs comfort. She needs encouragement. She needs um, love given to her. But if in the moment you see a, 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 a thing that's going on like Cain and there's a seethingness and a bitterness that's going to destroy the person, that would be tantamount to telling God, hey God, hang on buddy. Don't go to Cain. He's really sensitive right now. Don't, don't tell him to do what's right. Don't, don't do that, God. God, God. See, here's a problem with all these scholars is that our humanness and our sinfulness bleeds into our theology and we want to interpret Scripture according to that. And there are movement after movement after movement where we put man's feelings ahead of God's standard. By the way, that's how sin started, right? Eve saw the tree. She knew she wasn't supposed to. This is God's standard. But Eve was like, but I want it. That's how I feel. Cain's like, fine, you don't like me? You like him better? I'll take care of this. Cain, you know, whoa, slow down, man. You're about to do something really... I'm not listening to you. I'm, I'm, I'm taking him down. I'm taking him down. Well, don't, don't, don't interfere with that. That's what that interpretation of confession would say. That we're absolutely free from the effects of sin. No, we're not. We are free in justification and in our eternal position before Christ. But if I go out and sin, I will do damage to myself. I will do damage to my relationship with Christ. I'll do damage to maybe even others, won't I? And let me bring it all the way back down to something you can completely relate to. When somebody hurts your feelings or does great egregious offense to you, you desire to hear them say what? I'm sorry. Why should they? Why should they if we're free from sin? Because it heals. That's why. It heals. That's why in James 5.16 he says, confess your sins one to another. That's that concept of I'm sorry. I've hurt you. I need to own that. It doesn't mean I have to beat myself up over it. It doesn't mean that it identifies me as this person that's done this horrible thing. You confess, you repent, you move on. So the effects of sin do not kill, steal, and destroy anymore. So we have to repent of sin. The the same article I read today says, you know, uh, that Christ forgave people without them ever repenting. Can you think of an illustration of that? Straight out of Scripture. I can. I'll take you there as quickly as I can. Christ on the cross. That's where I always love to go. Christ on the cross does it twice. 
the man that's, that's hanging there, one of the men that's hanging there with him says, remember me. Right? He says, remember me. And what was Christ's response? Today you will be with me in paradise. Did you hear any repentance in there? You know, here's the interesting thing is that the other guy is cursing at Christ, challenging Him, blaspheming Him. And what does the man say who said, remember me? He says, hey, 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 we deserve our punishment. He doesn't. Do you think there was a heart of repentance there? Even though it, though Scripture doesn't say, and he repented, <laughs> there's a heart of repentance there. People who say you don't have to repent from sin have missed the entire section of the churches in Revelation where Christ is saying to them, hey, you're doing this great, but hey, you've given yourselves over to this temptation and this sin. And if you don't, what? Repent from this, I'm going to remove your lampstand. There will be a consequence. You've got to repent. Because this sin is going to destroy you. God doesn't do those things. Christ doesn't do those things in order to rain down control and a muzzle on His people. He does it because the effects of sin are there to destroy us and He's trying to protect as a loving Father. Amen? Amen. So we need to repent of sin. We've got to crush guilt. Right? That's one of the reasons that you have this antinomian attitude or this idea that, hey, let's just marginalize sin. It's ineffective because grace is that much greater. By the way, hopefully you're not hearing me downplay grace. That's next week's message. It's all about grace and mercy and redemption. The crushing guilt, John 8.10, speaks about this. Let me turn there real quickly so that you get it. You can turn with me. But uh, the other passage that I have for you, and that is Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen? And Galatians 5.1 talks about being free in Christ and no longer making ourselves slaves to sin. In other words, stop going back to the thing that, that was destroying you. You're free. Why would you do that? Why would you enter back into that? But the John 8.10 says, uh, says the following. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What's the backstory? Many of you know it. It's about the Pharisees, the religious leaders wanting to trap Jesus. They could have cared less about the woman. But they catch this woman in the act of adultery. They bring her out in front of everybody into the town square before Jesus and says, all right, rule on this. Because they thought they had him trapped. They could have cared less about this woman and her, her life and, and the, the things that she was being challenged by. And this was Jesus' response. He says, I condemn you not. Go. Go. Someone who lives in guilt doesn't move, do they? Crush guilt because Jesus did it on the cross. Don't sit and languish in the quagmire of sin and the history of your sin. You were not meant for that. In faith in Jesus Christ, you have been set free. But fight against sin. Lastly, eliminate temptation. Ephesians 4, 17. Turn there if you will. This will be our last verse in closing. Ephesians 4, 17. 
Oh, eliminate temptation. This, this fits into the aspect of the ideas of, of accountability and, and building things into our lives so that we don't put ourselves... Right? We, we hear this all the time. Wrong place at the what? Wrong time. And I've not heard that stated about the person who won the lottery. Right? Mike Karras, how are you? Good to see you, brother. Sorry, I don't normally do that, but the joy of the Lord just filled me seeing that man's face. We've got to eliminate temptation. Right? Wrong place at the wrong time. You know, those kinds of things. There is something we can do about that. We can be wise in our choices preemptively. Right? So Ephesians 4, 17-21. Paul says this, <clears throat> Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy, to every practice, every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and that you were taught in Him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's the big answer at the end of things. The one thing I want you to make sure you do in closing is think about this. I'm sorry, no. Scratch that. Belay that thought. Don't think about this. Don't think about a pineapple on my head. How big is that pine How big is that pineapple? Is it big? Cuz you're thinking about it, aren't you? You're all picturing it. I told you don't do it. And what was the first thing you did? That goes to my first point about what sin does. It's in our nature. Now, wouldn't it have been better for me to tell you? Hey, look at these new shoelaces I got. They're fantastic. There's no struggle there. Now, you may be like, I don't want to wear your shoelaces. I care less about your shoelaces. But the point is this. Paul says in Philippians 4a, Christ talks about it. If we focus on that which is good and right and loving and helpful and truthful, what will happen? Good things. But if we become all about making sure we're not doing those things we're not supposed to do, we get consumed by it. It's no fun. There's an interesting story that I heard recently about two wolves, and it fits perfectly with this idea of the struggle with sin. There's a light wolf, and there's a dark wolf. And they're in conflict with each other nonstop. Which wolf wins? The one you feed. The one you feed. The danger of sin is real. There is one answer, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. 
there are multiple practices that we can put into our life to make sure that we mitigate sin. But the greatest thing I can leave you with today is number one, recognize the danger of sin and do something about it. Seek that freedom in Christ. If you already know that freedom in Christ, pursue that which is good and build hedges against those things that are bad. And the effects of sin will slowly dissipate. Let me close in prayer this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us today. And as you continue in your week, I hope and pray that while this is a very serious message, next week we segue into grace and mercy. The answer to sin. Come. Here. Study ahead of time. Continue in the book of Ephesians because we'll be in there next week. And as we do so, I'm going to pray for the offering as well. And if you brought something today, it's in the box on the left as you exit. And we're excited about what God has for us. Mark on your calendar September 4th. We're doing a huge church picnic. Um, and at the end of that picnic, we're going to do a, uh, a movie night here that is open to the entire valley through Options for Women. And so we'll have a movie for kids, and then we're going to have a, a movie here. You can see the details for that on the website. Let me close in prayer today. Father, You have been kind to us. You have been protective of us. You have given us the tools and the opportunities to know how to fight against sin. Lord, I pray that today that there is an understanding of the danger of what sin can do. And all we have to do is look at the story of Cain and how anger, unchecked, turned into murder. And how there was an answer given to Cain and an option and a choice to walk away from that and to follow what God had set out that was good and right and healthy for Cain. But he didn't resist sin. He opened the door and it destroyed him. Help us to see you as the God who hates sin because of what it does to your people. Help us to see you as the one who has created freedom from the effects of sin and death. Thank you, Father, for grace and mercy that there is an answer to the consequences of sin. Lord, we ask that you bless the gifts given this morning, use them to help people. Use them for your glory. Bless them and multiply them. To you be the glory, Lord. Amen.